Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts, and here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. A lot to talk about. There's a lot going on. One of the things that you guys need to be mindful of here in the hours and days to come is that Mississippi State is expected to announce their baseball schedule at any moment. Could come today, could come tomorrow, but I understand that uh, there were some agreements that were kind of tentative until the uh, SEC kind of mapped out the scheduling format for uh, college baseball. That is now in place. And for those of you that are unaware, it is going to be a basic schedule, what we are accustomed to, 10 SEC weekends, of course, and then the regular non-conference schedule. And so there were some tentative agreements, but no contracts. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, we want to play these games, but before we finalize anything and have to get into a contract that uh, it may complicate things, let's wait until we know for sure how the SEC is going to roll this thing out. As you guys are aware, there were several scheduling models that the league considered, uh, one of those being a potential four-game SEC schedule. Now, I think that's a big thing for Mississippi State. That did not pass. There were also some discussions about 12 SEC weekends. That did not pass. So we're going to go with the status quo, which uh, will be interesting. It's, it's also it's worth noting, too, that you know the SEC, without a doubt, hit an absolute walk-off home run with football scheduling. You know, we're just doing conference only because there are some consistent protocols as far as COVID goes. Basketball is probably a little bit different. We, you know, we've had some cancellations. We've had some postponements. Those things are things that we'll navigate through. And probably something that we're going to deal with, as you guys are aware, Iverson Molinar was out the first couple of ball games. We have seen that with some other teams here as of late. You know, Florida men's basketball was short a couple players. They still managed to uh, to take down Ole Miss last night. Uh, and so baseball, not quite as close quarters as perhaps, you know, football and uh, men's and women's basketball are. So we're going to play the regular schedule. That's what's going to happen. That is now finalized. And also the uh, SEC has uh, voted to uh, – it. I guess you would say expand the travel roster, three more players, which gives you a little more wiggle room too. But I don't know if you guys have looked, man. You know, State has a unbelievably deep roster this year. You know, everybody with these seniors coming back and they've relaxed some of the roster limitations. And so a lot more players and pitchers available for all teams. That's a big thing for Mississippi State because we have so much depth pitching-wise. That's where I feel like that four-game SEC schedule would have really favored a team like Mississippi State. So our sources are sharing with us that the baseball schedule is finalized and will be announced at any moment. And uh, when we get back on Wednesday, hopefully, pardon me, on Friday, hopefully we'll have all of that in hand. and We can discuss that at length. So looking forward to that. Also, too, I think it's, it gives everybody a kind of a sense of something to look forward to. You know, we expected to play college baseball we didn't know if it'd be an abbreviated schedule or if it'd be conference only or whatever a lot of discussions about you know at some point maybe limiting midweek games and so that is all behind us there are no more discussions to be had it is now a matter of finalizing and announcing a schedule and kind of moving forward uh, as we play now the next question everybody has and I know each of you are very 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 interested in this is what does that mean for attendance well we don't know yet you know, we don't know. And every college program is kind of at the mercy of their state government's 
guidelines when it comes to live events. Now, there have been some discussions around the country about some states returning to live events uh, in February. You know, that, that means, you know, concerts and other things. And uh, obviously, that is going to be something that we all have to kind of uh, think about. There will be some personal decisions people will have to make. But what does that mean for attendance? I mean, are you going to have socially distanced seating at college baseball games? What does that mean for the left field lounge? Will they allow people to kind of pack those uh, rigs out out there? I mean, we just don't know yet. And I know all of you are thinking, you know what? Nothing means more to me than Mississippi State College baseball. You know, I'm among those like you. I mean, I love college baseball. I, I don't watch a lot of Major League Baseball anymore. They kind of lost me as a fan in many respects after the, uh, you know, the, the last work stoppage and, of course, the steroid scandals and all that stuff. And I just, you know, I think the college game is so much more pure. Uh, I, I think it's one of those things, too. Maybe it's because of the fact that we've always been so good at baseball that I just, you know, I, I kind of gravitate more to the college game. And I don't just love Mississippi State college baseball. I, I love it all. When uh, we get done at Duty Noble on weekends, I come home and watch Pac-12 baseball just because it's, it's on. And, I, it's you know, we expect to go to Omaha. We expect to play in NCAA regionals. And so I like to know what's going on around the country. I follow it very, very closely. Uh, I'm a subscriber to D1 baseball. You know, I, I think those things are important because it is a sport that we excel at. And uh, it, it maintains my interest. I love college football too, but I love college baseball just a little bit more. And maybe it's perhaps because I feel like that's our best chance to win a national championship. And I truly believe once we win the first one, the floodgates are going to open. And it, I've talked to Chris Lamontis a couple times about this sort of thing. You know, when Chris first got here, he said that the last thing that we're missing, the only thing we're missing at Mississippi State baseball is a national championship. And it is simply a matter of time. You know, could it be this year? You know, maybe it could be. You know, great pitching wins championships at every level. Mississippi State has a ton of great pitching this year. There are a lot of people that believe that we have three first-rounders on a weekend uh, in Christian McLeod, Will Bednar, and Eric Sarantola. Then you begin to factor in the guys. You've got, you know, midweek guys and some guys that can provide some long relief for you. And then you get on the back end, you've got Riley Self and uh, Spencer Price. I mean, two guys that uh, understand – what it takes to win at this level, you know, what it takes mentally to kind of battle through an SEC schedule. And so I like the makeup of this team. I do wish we had one more power bat on the right-hand side. I do. Uh, I do think Tanner Allen's in, you know, in, in line for a big year. I think Josh Hatcher's in line for a big year. There are a couple left-handers, and the park kind of plays to their strengths. But, man, it'd be great to have, you know, a, a guy like a Justin Foscu, a guy that can come up with two outs in the fourth inning, with a couple of guys on and, uh, and take one over the fence and change the complexion of a game. I don't know that we have that yet. I don't know if we have a double-digit home run guy from the right side. I think we got one from the left in Hatcher, and we'll see what happens with Tanner Allen. But uh, you know, maybe Logan Tanner can be that guy from the right side. You know, we'll see. Had a chance to watch him play some this uh, summer and really think that you know he is a very gifted receiver, very gifted catcher, but also, too, one of those guys that uh, you know can change a game for you. So where he hits in the order will be interesting, and I'm excited. I really am. I'm excited about the season. I'm excited that we're about to have uh, you know some things we can kind of sink our teeth into and begin to do some analysis. Really, really excited about college baseball, and you guys will be too. So we'll, as we get information, we'll share that with you here and also, of course, over on jeanspage.com. 
I know that uh, Mike Nemeth has a story going up on the roster a little bit later today, and hopefully we'll have an announcement of the schedule. But if not, we know that that announcement is imminent. I want to thank you guys, too, for your support of Bulldog Burger Company. Every time I turn around, somebody's tagging me in a tweet or reaching me on direct messaging and saying, you know what, Steve, we went and tried Bulldog Burger Company. We absolutely love it. You can't say you've had the Bulldog Burger experience unless you've had the spring rolls. I think it's the best appetizer in Starkville proper, and I would suggest probably this case over in Tupelo as well. Two locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Go by, let them know, let them know. You heard about them on the barnyard. Tell everybody, listen, hey, you know, we're coming in here, we're checking this thing out, we're enjoying our meal, we're enjoying a great restaurant-quality hamburger because our good friend and host Steve Robertson told us to come by here and do this. They'll be glad that you came in. You'll be glad you went in. And if you're looking for curbside service, I know a lot of people are still a little bit hesitant to go have the great restaurant experience. You know what? They're going to package you up and they're going to send you home with a great quality meal. Give mom a night off, go to Bulldog Burger Company, or get Bulldog Burger to go. Let them know exactly what you think about them. They'll be happy to serve you as part of a great family of restaurants that have served the Golden Triangle for many, many years. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. Our top story, of course, involves Mississippi State defensive coordinator Zach Arnett. And how great is it on this day, on Wednesday, January 13th, to be able to say that he is still Mississippi State defensive coordinator Zach Arnett. I want to take you through a few things that have happened here in the last 24 to 36 hours, but also to kind of bring you up to speed on perhaps some things you don't know. As I am sure you are aware by now, Zach Arnett uh, made the trip to Baton Rouge on Tuesday. LSU sent up a private jet, took him and his wife down to Baton Rouge. He got a chance to tour the uh, facilities and meet some of that Orzron. They did not reach an agreement, and I am told LSU's courtship of Zach Arnett is now over. Now, yesterday afternoon, it appeared that uh, Mississippi State might be ready to begin a defensive coordinator search. Now, some of the reports that came out of Baton Rouge were a little bit wishful thinking. There are many within our conference and in our country that kind of look at Mississippi State as, uh, you know, kind of the school of the, uh, you know, the sisters of the poor or whatever. That's really not the case, but that's kind of the perception of Mississippi State. I heard from several people in the LSU media, they expect it to be a done deal. They thought once Zach got on a plane and went down there, it was just a matter of kind of working through some details. I can understand their confidence, and I can understand some of Mississippi State people's uh, angst and anxiety over all that. Now, I believe that Mississippi State and Starkville is a destination job for Mike Leach. I believe this is Mike Leach, it's his last stop in his college career. I, I believe that. I really don't think there's much question about that. I think Mike is happy here. I think Mike... Uh, sees Mississippi State as a place that really kind of matches his value system. He understands the, uh, you know, the geography here and the proximity to great athletes. And I firmly believe that Mike Leach is going to take us some places we haven't been very often, if ever. Now, when it comes to coordinators and assistant coaches, you know, many of those guys expect to be head coaches at some point. Now, I guess you could look at Brent Venables in Clemson, and maybe he perhaps is a career coordinator. Uh, the same could be said, you know, for Bud when he was at Virginia Tech. You know, a lot of people thought, well, you know, at some point he'll leave. Never did. There are some people that are happy being coordinators. They don't want to have to go out there and do the uh, the chicken dinner circuit and that sort of stuff and do all the glad handing that goes on with being a head coach. There's a lot of responsibilities that go on outside of this football, you know, where, when you're a head coach. I believe Zach Arnett is going to be a major college coach at some point. Might end up being our coach at some point. 
And so there are a lot of our fans, you know, when, when these guys begin to get other opportunities and they talk to people, uh, you know, all of a sudden our radar goes up and we start thinking, oh, my gosh, we're going to lose them. And, listen, that, that's been the case several times. We've lost coaches before. There were times we lost them to money. There were times we just simply lost them to a better opportunity. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that's never going to happen again. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's not going to happen to Zach Arnett at some point because it is. At some point, Zach is going to leave. And I think it's fair that, uh, you know, some of our fans maybe don't fully appreciate the fact that Zach Arnett and his family are happy here. And you would say, well, Steve, if if he's truly happy here, why would he continue to talk to all these people? Why did he talk to South Carolina? Why did he talk to Oregon? Uh, Why is he mentioned in connection with so many other jobs? Well, some of that, of course, is agent talk. There are people that represent these coaches that understand, hey, at some point, you know, Zach Arnett's going to be a head coach. So it's good to get his name in the paper. Even if this isn't the year to make a move, even if this isn't the year for him uh, to kind of really be a viable candidate for some of these jobs, in agent talk, they feel like, you know what, I need to get my client's name associated with these jobs to elevate his profile as a future coaching candidate. Now, I've got a lot of friends in the coaching profession, a lot of our guys that have come through Mississippi State, they're elsewhere now. I still maintain a relationship with those people. One of those guys yesterday told me, he goes, you know, I wouldn't fret too much about Zach Arnett. There's a couple reasons why. Number one, in many respects, Mississippi State has made the D.C. rather than the D.C. making Mississippi State. You go back and look, with the exception of Peter Sermon, you go all the way back, you know, to Joe Lee Don and others, you know, we have historically had very good to great defenses. You know, even in rebuilding years, we have been pretty salty on defense. You go back to Sylvester Croom years, we were absolutely anemic on offense, but defensively, we were outstanding. Ellis Johnson did a great job when he was here as our D.C. Manny Diaz, a great job here as our D.C. Now he's the head coach at Miami. Jeff Collins, a great job as our D.C. Now he's the head coach at Georgia Tech. You know, Chris Wilson, you know, probably a little bit up and down. You know, but, you know, there were some times we were very, very good defensively. You know, that was, that's kind of been the deal. No matter who the head coach has been, whether it be Jackie Sherrill or Sylvester Croom, uh, Dan Mullen, even Joe Moorhead, defensively, we have been very good. And one of the reasons why is because this state produces defensive talent. There are other states out there that kind of, you know, kind of specialize in offensive skill. That's not really us. More times than not, we got to go out of state to get a quarterback. But we have always been a state that's produced quality defensive linemen quality defensive backs, quality linebackers at times. But we're a state that produces defensive talent. And so if you can keep that talent at home, you can field a good defense. The second part of that is, is look at Kirby Smart. As my contact shared, you know, Kirby Smart is a guy that interviewed for a lot of jobs that he had no intentions of taking. But he took those jobs, number one, to kind of sharpen his skills as an interview guy, but also, two, He wanted to keep his name out there in the discussion. So when the right opportunity came along, he would nail the interview, which is exactly what happened in Georgia. There were so many people, you know, when Kirby Smart's at Alabama, said, oh, this is the year Kirby's going to leave, he's going to leave, he's going to leave. He never did. And then finally, when the great job came around, when the game-changing job came around, when that opportunity unfolded, he nailed the interview. He already had an idea of how to put a staff together. And he's done a great job at the University of Georgia. And you could say, well, Steve, everybody's done a great job at the University of Georgia. That's not true, but you're welcome to say it. You know, the proximity to talent, Atlanta, and that sort of stuff, 
uh, kind of lends itself to success because they've got a much uh, more talented, shall we say, population base in the state of Georgia because they've got a lot more people than we do. But Kirby Smart did what was best for his career. And so we can kind of look at this Zach Arnett thing through the same lens. I've talked to some other people that know Zach well, that interact with him on a daily basis, that have said that he has shared, you know, guys, I'm not looking to leave, you know, but if the right opportunity comes along, it's better for my career and my family. I owe it to myself to at least listen to what they have to say. Now, many of you said, well, when South Carolina came along, you know, I, I could understand us losing him Notre Dame, loses to Texas, but not South Carolina. Guys, let me share with you, that was never a real possibility. It just wasn't. You know, South Carolina's a lateral move. Uh, I, they couldn't afford the buyout. I mean, there's just a lot of things that go along with that one. And that's one of the reasons that we, on Gene's page, you know, really didn't lend a lot of credence to that opportunity. Now, of course, he's mentioned for Texas. He's mentioned for Notre Dame. And so I think it's important to, to say, okay, where is all of this coming from? Is this a matter of the fact that Zach is just simply – uh, you're kind of like Dan Mullen, wanting his name associated with his jobs. Is he really looking to get out? Is he unhappy here? My understanding is that none of those things are true. Now, Zach is represented by Thayer Evans. I don't know if you guys know Thayer Evans. You should. Thayer Evans used to be a sports journalist. And listen, it's, at some point was among the biggest names in college football coverage. Uh, worked for SI for a while, worked for Fox for a while. Uh, had some missteps and uh, put some things out there about Oklahoma State that ultimately, uh, you know, led to some problems for Sports Illustrated. Uh, but Thayer left the journalism industry and went to work as, a, as an agent and represents a lot of people, including Zach Arnett. And so when you have a guy like him that is uh, media savvy, you know, you know, perhaps maybe you leak some things out there in the media because, listen, you know, part of their job as representatives is to make sure that their client is getting the most for their buck, to make sure they're getting interviews, to make sure that they're mentioned in connection with jobs, uh, to ensure that the next step is the right step, which brings a bigger payday for everybody involved. I'm also told that the initial report about, uh, and you may recall, I don't even remember who had the story, uh, about Zach Arnett being a priority candidate at the University of Texas. Now, I'm told now that a lot of that was really kind of some media-driven stuff. You know, and that's what happens. And listen, I work these coaching searches things all the time. Uh, some, the best information and the worst information comes from agent circles. You have people out there that are willing to share information with you, and sometimes they use you, sometimes without your knowledge. They may mention some things to you. Uh, I, I can tell you back when we were looking at our own coaching search and we hired Mike Leach, I talked to several people you know, in the agency world and they said, hey, w- would you mention this guy? Would you mention that guy? And we've got this guy here that's got real interest in the job. We're trying to get him in the mix there. And so sometimes they give you those names, even though there's not a lot to it. And so knowing how that works on this end, I know as well as anybody that that's happening with Zach Arnett and others. There are people out there that in the media that somebody tells them, hey, here's what I'm hearing and here's what we expect to happen and then people report it. Uh, one person in particular, I won't mention the name, one national writer admitted that he wasn't exactly sure how much of a candidate Zach Arnett was at the University of Texas. But that's not what he wrote. You know, he wrote that he was very much a candidate, and then privately he goes, well, you know, I think he's a candidate there. And so take a lot of that stuff with a grain of salt. Now, obviously, when a guy gets on a plane with his wife, and flies down to Baton Rouge, obviously that's something that everybody should be concerned about. 
I was concerned about it. Matter of fact, I had people in the media reaching out to me saying, hey, what are you hearing? What's going to happen here? One of the things that I'll say about that is, is if they had good sources, why are they asking me? Why are they asking me? Because a lot of those people didn't just want to compare notes. They were looking for a story. They were looking for information because clearly they didn't have any. I think this has also been a bit of an eye-opening experience for Zach Arnett. You know, I understand that, uh, you know, these, these things, especially when they involve coordinators, you know, a lot of people want to keep things hush-hush. Because if you don't get the job, you got to come back and you got to be around other coaches and you got to one day go stand in a room in front of your players that have read all that stuff on social media. And, you know, you got to save face a little bit, right? What does it mean for recruiting? And that's probably my biggest concern about all of this. You know, obviously, I want to keep Zach Arnett here in Starkville for years to come until he's ready to go get a head coaching job somewhere because he is a great defensive coordinator. Our, listen, we did not have a lot of proven stars on defense this year. Let's be fair about that, okay? We had a lot of role guys that were kind of stepping into starting roles for the first time. Little did we know what we had in the secondary. We, we, we talked about it on this show extensively back in the spring. You're going to have some issues here. You're going to have some issues kind of putting together a secondary. And then we we produced two All-Americans and Martin Emerson and Emmanuel Forbes. But the only proven playmaker that we really had on defense entering the season was Errol Thompson. I think we can all, if if we take the maroon glasses off and say, you know what, Steve's right. Yeah, Kobe Jones is a guy we all know, but Kobe's kind of been a second-team guy. This is his first year to kind of be a leader. He did a great job as a leader. And we didn't have a huge year, but he was a guy that played hard for Mississippi State. You know, but Kobe has been, you know, a depth guy much of his career. Marquis Spencer, redshirted last year, and then was ha- having the best year of his career before he got injured. But he was not a proven playmaker. You know, he was a guy that showed flashes at times, but he wasn't a guy that played every down. And in the secondary, I mean, you know, we, we had high hopes for Marcus Murphy, but he didn't have an extensive body of work, and, of course, he opts out. And so I begin to think, what can Zach Arnett do when he has a typical Mississippi State defense, when he has a veteran group of guys that have started for a couple years? What's he going to do then? That's what excites me. The negative in all this is about recruiting. Is you got four scholarships left for the class of 2021, and at this point all four of those spots are expected to be allocated for defense. And so we're out there recruiting these guys and the other schools that are recruiting them, you know as well as I do. And people say, well, you're negative recruiting. Listen, don't be a Pollyanna. Everybody negative recruits. It's part of the salesmanship process. People say, well, you know, you should only talk about the great things that you have to offer. That's really cute. I mean, it is. It's also, you know, silly. But every school recruiting these players is telling those defensive guys, hey, listen, listen, I get you like Mississippi State, but – you know, how do you know they're going to run the same scheme next year? What if they bring in a different coordinator? And, of course, they change the scheme, and then you don't really fit the scheme. What are you going to do then? And kids are saying, well, I don't know. Well, you know, we don't even know who the D.C. is going to be at Mississippi State next year because Zach Garnett's out here interviewing for all these jobs. And so if you don't think that's happening, you're kidding yourself. There is no doubt that every school that is recruiting against Mississippi State for these final spots is bringing up the fact Zach Arnett interviewed for a South Carolina job, interviewed for the Oregon job, is mentioned for Notre Dame, is mentioned for Texas, took a plane ride down to LSU. And those schools would be complete idiots if they didn't mention that. It's part of recruiting. It's not just selling what you have. It's diminishing what everybody else has. That's part of recruiting. That's salesmanship. If you've ever worked in retail, you understand. 
It's not just about selling price. It's about selling value. It's about selling you being our customer is a better experience for you because of this. It's not about selling features. It's about selling benefits. And you can say, well, you know, we're going to run a 335 scheme. Okay. Well, if Zach Arnett leaves, is there any guarantee of continuity? Is there any guarantee of future success? Because, you know, look at what Zach did this year. And I will never begrudge Zach Arnett these opportunities because look at the job he did in year one with a marginally talented Mississippi State defense. And I'm not throwing that shade on any of our current players or or last year's players. That's just the reality of it. We were not a star-studded defense. And so let's also give some, some props and some respect to Mike Leach and John Cohen for having the foresight to see, you know what? We better lock up Zach because he's going to be a hot commodity come the end of the year. Now, there has been a lot of misinformation out there about Zach Arnett's buyout. I have done my best to correct that on social media and on our message board, and I want our fans to be knowledgeable of what's really going on and the facts of the situation. Football scoop, and and I I still don't understand how these people uh, have a following. It, it It is incredible to me. Uh, they have a worse batting average than Bob Euchre had as a Major League Baseball player. And if you don't know Bob Euchre, you can go ahead and look him up on Google. Um, but the bottom line is, is that a lot of people are reporting information that this is simply inaccurate. Uh, Football Scoop, I don't know the guy's name, but Football Scoop, one of their writers put out that, oh, there's some things out there about Zach Garnett's extension that are untrue. And he could not have been further from the truth. Everything that he said was incorrect. Zach Garnett signed an extension that was active December 1st his previous buyout was 300k to a non-SEC school and 450 for an SEC school what's up near two million dollars now and so a lot of people were operating under the false pretense that oh well this you know this buyout's really not that much and then what happens is they get them on campus or they get them on a zoom call and they get face to face and they start thinking, okay, well, this will be great. This guy's, you know, a proven commodity. He's did a great job at San Diego State, a great job at Mississippi State. And then all of a sudden they get into the contract and start thinking, oh, wait a minute. And so I think in many ways that has been misrepresented to a lot of people involved in these processes, this hiring process. And so that's why you hear he's interviewing, and the next thing you know, it's over with. Well, that's why. That's why it's not that Zach's a bad interview. It's not that Zach is not capable of working for those programs. He would be an asset to any program. But when you look at the fact that John Cohen, your director of athletics and your head coach, Mike Leach, went ahead and got this thing done in season. And what schools negotiate contract extensions for assistant coaches in season? It just doesn't happen. It is a rarity in college sports. But it is clear that Mississippi State knows what they have in Zach Arnett and made the prudent decision to get this done before things got crazy. So it is, uh, listen, I think Mike and John take a lot of grief from some of our fans, and I think a lot of that's unwarranted. But I want you guys to know that the reason that Zach Arnett is still your defensive coordinator today is because of the steps that John Cohen and Mike Leach took to protect Mississippi State and to do their best to kind of lock Zach Arnett up you know, for the foreseeable future. And Mississippi State was 2-6 and six when this decision was made. 2-6. and six. But everybody saw, you know what, Zach knows what he's doing. 
And John and those guys looked ahead and said, you know what, if, if we don't go ahead and get him extended now, once we get into December and January, we're going to have a real fight on our hands. And, and I submit to you today, if that $450,000 buyout was still there, that Zach Arnett's probably living somewhere else today. His wife's probably, you know, supervising a Mayflower truck being packed right now. So that's kind of where we stand today. Is it over? I mean, for now it is. I mean, I've been told, you know, by an impeccable source that LSU's courtship of Zach Arnett is over. Is over. And so it appears State has kind of dodged that bullet. You know, the South Carolina thing, Oregon thing, never really got off the ground. This LSU thing was a much different situation. But it appears that, you know, State's going to hang on. Now we kind of wait out Texas. I'm told... Texas has Zach on their list, but he's down the list a good bit. So we'll see. I think they got a miss on a few guys, and I don't think they will. Texas is still Texas. You know, and Sark also is a guy, you know, Steve Sarkeesian's been around the block. He was head coach at the University of Washington, head coach at USC. So he has had some people work for him in the past, a network of people. So, you know, would you go and hire a coordinator kind of as uh, an unknown? You know, probably not, especially when this is your redemption tour, right? And so I think everybody kind of sees this is probably Steve Sarkeesian's, you know, really last chance, you know, to be a head coach. You know, fair or unfair, he's been a head coach twice. He's been very successful. This is the University of Texas. So the expectations are going to be tremendous there. Ask Tom Herman. You know, Tom Herman's had some pretty good seasons up there, but Texas is not back. They're working to get back, and that's not to say they wouldn't have the money to write a check tomorrow to buy out Zach Garnett's contract. They do. They had the largest athletic budget in the country. So it's not like they couldn't do it. And so that's what we continue to watch. And, of course, there are some discussions about Pete Golding uh, leaving Alabama. And then, of course, then that opens up a a, a spot at Tuscaloosa. You know, I'm told we're not overly concerned about Alabama. You know, Nick Saban's going to run his scheme. Uh, You know, they want to be more multiple up front. But, listen, that's not to say that the wheels aren't going to be in motion again and we're not going to be sweating this thing out again. A lot of people have suggested that uh, should Pete Golding leave, Charlie Strong, who is an analyst at Alabama, would take over as D.C. uh, there in Tuscaloosa. So there are still, you know, some hurdles to clear. But as for now, Mississippi State hanging on to Zach Arnett. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer. And you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. 
You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let Nerd Wallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Let's get into today's top 10 list. I don't remember who sent this suggestion to me. It was not the first one, but it was a good reminder. You know, we hadn't done this. And it's uh, rock songs that uh, contain Mississippi in them. They're not necessarily all about Mississippi, but they got Mississippi in the lyrics. Uh, And so I put this list together. I am a fiercely proud Mississippian, even though there are some things in our past that I am not in any way supportive of. I love being from Mississippi. You learn to deal with everybody here, people from all walks of life. You know, you have friends from all socioeconomic and religious backgrounds. Uh, And there is a quiet dignity about Mississippians. You know, one of my proudest moments was, uh, you know, how everybody responded after Katrina. You know, neighbors just kind of bonded together and said, you know what, despite our differences, we're in this thing together, and let's just kind of move forward. And so we did. And so every time there is an issue that comes up like that, Rather than make excuses, Mississippians just kind of get to work. It's kind of who we are and what we do. And so I am proud to be from Mississippi. Uh, I fly the Mississippi flag on my vehicles. And uh, listen, there's no place in the world I'd rather be from than the state of Mississippi. I've lived and traveled extensively and uh, couldn't wait to get back to Mississippi when the opportunity arose. Love being here. Love being around all of you. Uh, You know, Obviously, I'm having you know a lot more proximity to Ole Miss fans. So you kind of got to deal with that too. But I think you know me being back is probably good to kind of hold them accountable too. So here are my top ten songs of the rock genre that have Mississippi in the title or in the lyrics extensively, and uh, I think you'll enjoy this list. Some of these Roy is going to have to work hard to kind of find them to get them on a Spotify list. So if we come up a song or two short on the list, don't think it was an accident. Uh, you know, or anything like that. I mean, we're just kind of working hard to find these. Some of these are a little more obscure. But top 10 rock songs, we'll just call them top 10 rock Mississippi songs. Number 10, from a band from the Mississippi Gulf Coast, kind of up-and-comers. They've got a, uh, their second album is out. But from their first album, it's Magnolia Bayou. 
And the name of the song is Long Damn Ride. That's the first time I've used that word on this show. But uh, check that song out. I absolutely love that song. I think it should have been a major radio hit. I don't know what kind of representation they have behind them. But uh, if you're not familiar with Magnolia Bayou, you should get familiar with them. Uh, Great, great, great up-and-coming rock band from Mississippi. A bit of a blues element in what they do. But they're also big Black Sabbath fans. They even do a... Sometimes they'll open for themselves, and they'll do like a Black Sabbath set and then uh, go play their originals. But that's Magnolia Bayou. Enjoy those guys. I love them. I can't wait. I can go watch the show again. All right, number nine, going back to the late 80s, it's Black Velvet from Elena Miles, a song about Elvis Presley. I believe the first, the first lyric is Mississippi, Mississippi in the middle of a dry spell. Elena Miles was very much a, a one-hit wonder, but that Black Velvet song was everywhere when it was on the radio. Number eight, a song about our capital city, Jackson, Mississippi by Kid Rock. Love this tune. Uh, I've never lived in Jackson, but I've spent a lot of time in Jackson, and uh, it's good to see our capital city get a bit of a shout-out. Number seven, some guys from California, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and the song Danny California. They work in Mississippi uh, in that, you know, uh, great tune. That We've mentioned that song on the show before. Number six, from the Long Cold Winter album from Cinderella, it's The Last Mile. Down on the farmland, Mississippi shade, folks down there tell me take it day by day. And it, at his heart, Tom Kiefer is a blues artist. That first album, Night Songs, a little more rock, rock type stuff, but when you get into... Long Cold Winter, Heartbreak Station, a lot more of the blues element comes out. One of my favorite songs uh, of all time is the lead song on that Long Cold Winter album. It starts off with the bad seamstress blues and goes into falling apart at the seams. Absolutely love that song. But The Last Mile was a big hit for Cinderella. I think you'll dig that one if you're unfamiliar. Number five, one of the more obscure songs on our list from some artists that you know exceptionally well. The title of the song is Walking Into Clarksdale. It's also the title track off the uh, second album from Plant and Page. That's right, Robert Plant and Jimmy Page, their collaboration together, Post Leads Up on Walking Into Clarksdale. Great tune. Check it out. I like that whole album. Uh, if, if you're unfamiliar with that, you should, you should probably go find it on YouTube. I don't even know if it's available on iTunes. But uh, a lot of great songs on there that sound very much like Led Zeppelin, as you would expect. But Walking Into Clarksdale talks about Highway 49 and things of that nature. And uh, I've shared with you guys before about how Robert Plant has spent some time in the Mississippi Delta. He played the, uh, the Blues Festival in Clarksdale a few years ago. Um, very involved, of course, with Robert Johnson's, uh, you know, legacy uh, here in Mississippi. Number four, these guys are from Texas, but their head's in Mississippi. That's right, ZZ Top, my head's in Mississippi. There's a great Netflix documentary on ZZ Top. If you hadn't watched that, I would encourage you to go watch that. You know, true rock and rollers and um, guys that kind of understand the blues and all that sort of stuff that happens here. Uh, Kind of a tribute. Number three, and uh, I guess this is in honor of, of the great Leslie West, who died here about a week to ten days ago. Leslie West, kind of an underappreciated guitarist. Mississippi Queen from Mountain. Leslie played and wrote those opening riffs. One of the best guitar songs of all time. And everybody knows this song, no matter where you go, Mississippi Queen is played. Probably the most recognizable 
song about Mississippi around the country. Everybody knows this song. Number third, number two on the list ended up being the first number one song for the Doobie Brothers. That's Blackwater. Oh, Blackwater, keep on running. Mississippi Moon, keep on shining as my cat sings in with us. Blackwater, a great song. And one of the things, too, that I learned about this when watching them in the uh, Hall of Fame induction special they had on HBO is that uh, I guess it was a guy in Raleigh, North Carolina, started playing this. It was a B-side on a 45 that they had released, and they started playing Blackwater, and it exploded and, and ultimately became their first number one hit. At number one, though, the number one song about Mississippi or Mississippi song of all time from Leonard Skinner, it's Mississippi Kid. Mississippi Kid, number one. Uh, listen, very simple song for them, very powerful song for them. Uh, and what my favorite lyric in it is, uh, you know, I was born in Mississippi and I don't take any stuff from you. Uh, so check that out. That's the list. Top 10 Mississippi songs from the rock genre. We'll do some other things on Friday. If you guys have a suggestion for the top 10 list, reach out, let me know. I've had many of you reach out and ask for uh, top 10 lists from previous shows. And uh, Gordon Griffin, a longtime listener of the show, has been kind enough to go back into the archives and put some of these things on Spotify that kind of predate when Roy started putting these lists together. And so I'm tweeting those out regularly, uh, you know, kind of from the archives for those of you that have missed. I like it, too, because some of you guys will hit me up on social media and say, hey, Steve, I I missed the show when you did this top ten list. Can you send it to me? And I I don't want to spend a lot of time doing that, but I'm kind enough when those opportunities arise to send those to you guys. I'm glad you enjoy this. Uh, there are some people that don't like the top 10 list, and I'm okay with that. Uh, I know that there are most of you that do, and I've had so many people that have been so grateful for the top 10 list on Spotify. So check them out and uh, enjoy those Mississippi songs. Next segment of our show brought to you by Campus Bookmark. Again, longtime sponsors of this show, Stand Man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, everybody at Campus Bookmark will treat you like family because in their eyes you are family to them. If you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we're going to save you a little money on those online orders. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, and that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. And you know what? I just saw today they were advertising some brand new MSU baseball hoodies. I know you guys love the hoodies and you want hoodies this time of year. Those early baseball games get a little bit chilly and you still want to wear the M over S. So visit them today and you should be following them on social media anyway. But every day they're always announcing new arrivals and new specials and things like that. So let me encourage you to do that. Campus Book Mart, an absolute great place to find your Mississippi merchandise. All right, let's talk a little basketball. At 8 p.m. tonight, Mississippi State will take on Texas A&M. It's a big game because it is the next game. Of course, that's 8 p.m. tonight at Humphrey Coliseum. Uh, Mississippi State on a bit of a roll. And I think that this is a ball game. I guess the last time I saw State was favored by six or so. Uh, This should be a game Mississippi State should win. The way that State is playing right now, I don't think there's a game on the schedule you look at and say, you know what, that's a certain loss. Uh, you know, it's one game at a time, obviously, but uh, we're probably in a much better situation than people expect us to be in. I know that I am expre- extremely proud and surprised at how well we've been playing. 
Uh, and I think it's worth noting that um, you know, Mississippi State has really worked hard uh, to find the right rotation, and some of these young guys are really responding. Uh, Texas A&M, 6-4 on the year. They opened the season uh, on a three-game winning streak, taking down UNO, uh, Tarleton State, and then uh, UTRGV. They get into the Long Star Showdown, and that's the, uh, the whole you know, Big 12 SEC thing, and they get drilled by TCU, 73-55. They bounce back to beat Southeastern Louisiana, and they beat Wofford. You guys remember Wofford, how much trouble they gave us when they came to Humphrey Coliseum. They beat them by 18. Then they get blasted on the road at LSU, and then they beat Auburn uh, on Saturday, January 2nd, by 2, 68-66 there in College Station. They go on the road and play South Carolina, and you know what? It's another lopsided loss, 78-54, and then they drop uh, a game at home to Tennessee, number 9 Tennessee, 68-54. So they come into this game 1-3 in the league. And so this, again, uh, a very winnable game for Mississippi State. A&M has not been good on the road, especially in conference play. And so we're excited to see the Mississippi State try to go win a ball game tonight. And uh, it's great to have some confidence. You know what I'm saying? It's like there have been so many times, you know, we hope for something good to happen. And it seems like every time the men's basketball team, you know, pulls us back in and we get a little more uh, optimistic about things and get our emotional investment involved, that, uh, you know, something happens and you're like, you know what, I just I don't know why I'll bother with that. But every chance this year, with the exception of the Kentucky game, this team has responded. And so you win this thing tonight, and all of a sudden you're four and one in the league, and people are going to be really excited about uh, not just the future, but uh, you know the immediate future uh, here at Mississippi State. Look at this A and M, you know, scoring deal here. Emmanuel Miller averaging 17.3 points a game. Where's number five for them? Uh, started nine games. Excuse me, started six and played in nine games. Uh, certainly having a a big stretch here. Quentin Jackson. 12 points a game, four, almost 44% from three-point line, number three. You need to watch him tonight, obviously. Uh, those are the only two scorers that are in double digits. Andre Gordon has started every game for them uh, just just under nine points a game. Uh, but it, again, it's one of those things you look at. You say, okay, we look up and down this roster. This is a team that State is capable of beating, especially at home. Emmanuel Miller is a guy, obviously – State's going to have to contain there in the post. They like to run their offense through him. Uh, leads a team with 70 rebounds. So, Abdul do got to be a big part of things tonight and stay out of foul trouble. So, that's kind of where we are on the men's basketball side. And, again, I think it's okay to start believing a little bit. And I, I don't know that I felt that way here six weeks ago, to be honest with you. I really thought we'd struggle in conference play, and we were hoping just to get to 500 and probably play our best basketball at the end of the season. And uh, we're playing pretty well right now. And, of course, we've got a, a pretty difficult stretch coming up. And Alabama's playing well. You know, Alabama drilled Kentucky last night, which makes that Kentucky loss seem a little bit worse. But the bottom line is, is that's behind us now. We can't fix that. We can't fix that. We just have to take care of what's in front of us. And, again, Iverson Molinar, D.J. Stewart kind of emerging, not just as stars at Mississippi State, but stars within this league. And I've, I've read extensively that uh, some national – college basketball writers are beginning to consider Iverson Molinar one of the best point guards in America, not just in the SEC. Look at the women's side of things. The Bulldog ladies will be in action on Thursday evening against a very improved Alabama women's basketball squad. 
ten and one on the season, and uh, I don't know who saw that coming, but they have obviously been a much better team uh, this year. Took down Oklahoma State in the SEC Big Twelve Challenge, and uh, you know Oklahoma State has been kind of a mainstay in the NCAA Women's Tournament, and that that game went down in Stillwater. That's a huge win early on for Alabama. Uh, just from a reputation standpoint, I mean, that, that that's a game, a non-conference road win like that uh, really bodes well later when you begin to think about bracketology and things of that nature. Now, getting a little deeper into the schedule, once you get through non-conference, Alabama wins at Missouri, wins handily, 74-59. They lose in Tuscaloosa to South Carolina, no shame in that. Obviously, the Lady Gamecocks, uh, one of the better teams in the country, but it's a 77-60 defeat there. Uh, they take down LSU 67-59, and then they beat Vanderbilt 80-56. to I don't know that Vanderbilt will ever be what they were in women's basketball. I mean, it's obviously a lot of life left to live for most of us, but uh, Vanderbilt's not what they once were in any stretch. And so then the ladies come in with a 3-1 and conference record uh, to Starkville tomorrow night. That'll be on the app. And so if you are interested in watching that game, can't make the game, I know most of you cannot – you need to look for that on the ESPN app, and uh, you should be able to watch it on your smart TV. And then we'll see what happens from there. It, it's, this is a tough, tough – this next three games, I told you guys on Monday, will likely define the regular season. Home against Alabama on the road at A&M and then home against South Carolina. That's three teams that are playing exceptionally well right now. So we're going to kind of earn our stripes here in the next three weeks. You survive that, things get a lot easier down the stretch. But um, – you know, if we expect to be, you know, a potential host team, we got to find a way to at least win two of those three games. And then, of course, we go to Vanderbilt after that. That should be a win. And we'll host Tennessee, and it's still Tennessee. And you got a road trip to Arkansas that's playing well, too. And so, and then after that, you go to Oxford. And so, there aren't going to be a lot of easy games on the SEC schedule this year. A lot of parity within the league. I don't think there's a single game you look on here with the exception of maybe Vanderbilt. And you say, you know what? Uh, we probably don't have to have our best game to win that one. I, I believe right now with so much parity in the league, we're going to have to bring our best effort every night. And when we don't, we're going to lose. You know, Kentucky nearly beat South Carolina the other night, so it makes that loss a little more easier to take, I guess you could say, but it's one we let slip away. We should have won the game. And I think that's one of those RPI things, that if we had won that game, you know, down the stretch, because Kentucky's going to contend, that we would have had a chance to do some big things. And so, you know, again, uh, Nikki McCray-Penson said in the, in the uh, press conference earlier today, we expect to be playing our best basketball in February. And so I, I agree with her, but uh, this this next two weeks probably going to be a very defining stretch when it comes to the 2021 Mississippi State women's basketball season. That's kind of where things stand today. So looking forward to those two games that's one great thing about this time of year is, you know, especially once baseball starts, we get a chance to root for state pretty much every day of the week. And so we get Wednesday night basketball for the men, women's basketball on Thursday. And then, you know, here in a few weeks, we'll start getting four and five baseball games a week. In addition to all this stuff, man, it's, it's going to be a lot to keep up with. And, uh, you know, we're excited about it and you should be as well. If you're thinking about coming to Starkville and moving up here and being a part of our community, we certainly wish you would. Not, but listen, not too many of you. I don't want to have to wait for a table. But uh, listen, we look forward to having you guys on campus. And uh, it's a lot easier to go to games when you live here. And so if you're considering moving up here, let me encourage you, give the Forks at, at Portico an opportunity to handle your relocation. Uh, Portico is a new residential development 
in Starville. It's listen, it's right near campus. We're just talking like just over a mile away from campus. Easy to get to campus. It's uh, right there on Garrett Road behind the Hilton Garden Inn. It's one of those new hotels right out there just off of campus and behind the Cryford Jeep dealership. Easy access to 82 and 25. Going to be a substantial community, but you're not going to be on top of each other. 51 houses total in development. 18 houses already nearing move-in condition. 33 houses in a second phase that will begin later this year. Houses range in size from 1,300 to 2,000 square feet. And two-bedroom, two-bath, up to four-bedroom, four-bath. Portico includes a walking trail and a pavilion area, so you can get out there, grill some burgers, and then go walk off those calories. Brooks Bryan, our friend, former Diamond Dog Brooks Bryan, one of the developers of uh, this great project. And so if you need more information, Brooks is the guy to talk to. Let me give you his number, and you can also ask him great Mississippi State baseball stories. Call Brooks at 601-416-8075. Let me repeat that again. 601-416-8075. Okay, we have some football recruiting stuff to talk about, too, as you guys are well aware that, uh, you know, State's still got four spots to fill. Of the names we know, Ty Cooper, C.J. Johnson, we feel good. I feel great about Ty Cooper. I feel really good about C.J. Johnson. C.J. recently took an unofficial visit to Northwestern. And uh, listen, he comes from a very educated family. He is a brilliant student, can be a great football player, but uh, academics can be a big part of his decision. So it's not necessarily a slam dunk that he comes to Mississippi State. He gets from a Mississippi State family. But parents met at Mississippi State. So, you know, he's true maroon. And some of you say, well, Steve, if he's true maroon, why didn't he already committed? Well, it's, a lot of it's because the recruiting process really just kind of exploded for him in late November. So... I'm optimistic that State gets both of those players, but if I had to call it today, I feel better about Ty Cooper than I do C.J. Johnson. That's not to say that I feel bad about C.J. I think the Ty Cooper thing is essentially over. I think a matter, it's just a matter of him announcing, and I'm told that uh, I'm told he has made his decision and will announce that decision on National Signing Day. And some would say, well, why are we dragging this thing out? Listen, as long as our coaches know what's going on, it doesn't matter what's in the paper. And I know sometimes, you know, you're happier when guys make a public declaration and kind of get things out there and kind of get it out of the way. But in the end, it doesn't matter when you get them as long as you get them. Ty Cooper is the best defensive lineman in the state by far. Uh, I think that he is a guy that will have a good career at Mississippi State, uh, one, of the, one of the best players in the Mississippi-Alabama All-Star game. I think he's really beginning to kind of scratch the surface on what he could really be as a, as a football player. So uh, be excited about that. And uh, listen, I'll be honest with you. I've shared with you guys before. You know, if Deke Adams wasn't at Ole Miss, I think Ty Cooper's probably already a Bulldog. Probably a good chance that he would have signed there in, in, uh, back in December. And that's not to say that he favored Ole Miss. It's just to kind of give credit to Deke Adams for doing a good job and creating some confusion and some indecision. That's a big part of recruiting. There are a couple other spots left to fill. I have, for a long time, I felt like it had probably two DBs. I don't know that that's the case anymore. And as I share with you guys on Wednesday, I think it'll be one DB and then a best available on defense. Maybe that's a rush in. Maybe it's a linebacker. We'll see. I think you've got to get some playmakers on defense. Feel really good about this linebacker class. I don't think that's nearly as an emergent uh, as a need as, as you probably would expect. But, you know, when you think about the losses at defensive end and what you have returning, if you could pick up a veteran guy to come in and kind of add some pass rush off the end, that makes some sense. State's expected to sign four defensive ends in the class. You've already got three of them in. You get Ty Cooper, that gives you four. But if there is a transfer guy that can be a stopgap guy, it only makes sense. 
We talked about Missouri defensive back Adam Sparks earlier this week. Now, based on the information that I have, I do not expect him to join the class. I understand he is not going to graduate until May, and so he's in the portal now, but he's in as a regular transfer rather than a grad transfer. And so let me explain some things about the transfer portal that maybe you don't know. Once a guy enters the transfer portal, once he completes that semester, the school is no longer required to provide any financial aid. And so let's take Adam Sparks for an example. All right, so he goes into the portal, and let's say he's not enrolled in class. So why would Missouri pay for this semester of education knowing that he is going to leave and go to an SEC school? Well, they shouldn't, right? You wouldn't be happy with that either. There are a lot of you that think, you know, well, once a guy goes into portal, he ought to leave campus. All right, well, that's not, that's not right, and that's not the provision. But this is not a situation where, you know, Adam Sparks uh, is close to graduating now. It's not like he can take an intercession class and then move here. And so because of these SEC rules about in-conference transfers, if you're not a grad transfer and you only got one year of eligibility, you can't, you can't transfer in the SEC. You just can't do it. you got to be a grad transfer to do it. And I'm told that Adam is probably not going to be able to graduate until May, so that muddies the water a little bit. I really believe, based on everything that I've heard, that that is over with. That State's going to go in a different direction. Does that mean that State goes out there and mines the JUCO ranks for full qualifiers? Because here's the deal with that. If you had a full qualifier that played this year and you go sign him, well, this year's junior college system, uh, you know, also the NJCAA said this year of eligibility didn't count. So if you go get a full qualifier from a junior college that played extensively this year, he has four years to play. And he's got a year of post-high school football under his belt. Now, obviously, guys that play JUCO are not going to be at the same level of guys that play Division I football. So ideally, you'd like to go get a grad transfer or go get a guy like, uh, you know, Makai Polk that uh, has multi-years available. And again, there's no guarantee about this transfer thing passing right away. I still think it happens before the season. And it's a matter of kind of getting all of this NLI stuff handled as well. But uh, you you got to go mind the portal. And there's so many guys out there that kind of have an idea of what they're going to do before they enter the portal, especially this time of year. You know, I think Ole Miss starts school next week. State's already in class. And so the drop ad date is coming quickly. And so in order to get a guy here to take part in spring practice, they've got to make a call here really, really, really soon. And so there are a lot of names out there that are in the portal. And if you're not on them immediately, you're not going to get them because everybody is looking for immediate help. Speaking of recruiting, yesterday I spent uh, some time yesterday afternoon at Amory High School. You guys are well aware Jay Hampton from Amory signed with State in December and kind of out of nowhere for, for all of us. You know, State didn't offer him until National Signing Day. After MJ Daniels flipped Ole Miss and after Justin Wiley signed with Minnesota, we went to the next guy up. That was Jay Hampton. Jay Hampton, after seeing him in person, People always want to know, who does he remind you of? Well, he looks like Emmanuel Forbes with 10, 15 pounds on him. Six, one and a half, 175 pounds, runs a 4440. You can say, well, Steve, why was he available? Well, one of the reasons why is he wanted to play in a Southeastern Conference. And so he's like, why would I sign in December when I can wait this thing out? And then if things don't go the way that I want, I can always go to a junior college for a year and improve myself and perhaps get a JUCO, uh, an SEC offer. Well, Mississippi State had actually been recruiting Jay Hampton for the better part of a year. He had two different coaching staffs that recruited him. He came to camp as part of a seven-on-seven the summer of his junior year. 
and ran a 4-4-2. Then he goes and works out. Mississippi State was recruiting him as a receiver. And so once Mike Leach and his staff came in, they were made aware. Hey, there's a kid at Emory High School. He's a big Mississippi State guy. It's a guy that we're going to watch. And initially, we recruited him as a receiver. Steve Spurrier Jr. went by and spoke with uh, Coach Allen Glenn there at Amory High School and got some information on him. Matt Brock's area recruiter. Matt stayed in contact with Coach Glenn and Jay Hampton throughout the process. And so when the opportunity unfolded, they went ahead and offered him because they knew once it got it, if they let this guy get into January, if they didn't sign him in December, they were going to have a real fight on their hands. It's interesting According to the staff at Emory High School, Ole Miss offered Jay Hampton back in March. Offered him back in March and told him, hey, don't publicize this just yet. So some Ole Miss people would hear that and say, well, it wasn't a real offer. Well, their head coach, Lane Kiffin, said the same thing. Not about Jay Hampton specifically, but said they offered some guys and told them to kind of keep it quiet. They wanted to keep some guys kind of under the radar. Southern Miss came in late, kind of drugged their feet a little bit, let State beat them to the punch, and they regretted it. You know, and so – we always talk about, you know, it's the, it's the bottom 10 kids in your class. What I mean by that is everybody's going to sign 10 to 15 guys that are bona fide SEC guys, and you say, you know what, these are the best guys. But what we have done at Mississippi State, and I give Dan Mullen a lot of credit for this, is we've gotten value in those bottom 10 guys, those developmental guys. Jay Hampton's a guy that was a 1,000-yard receiver in back-to-back years at Emory High School. And as Darcel McBath says, you go out and you recruit those guys because when the ball is in the air, everybody is a receiver, right? It doesn't matter where you line up. It doesn't matter which, which goal line you're facing. When the ball is in the air, your wide receiver skills have to take over. you got to have ball skills. you got to be able to elevate. you got to be able to go get a hand on the football. And so this is a developmental guy. Obviously, he doesn't have a lot of experience playing corner. But as his coach told me yesterday, when they needed to shut a guy down, they put him in the ball game because they didn't need him on defense and not to, that's not the brag. They're a winning program. They went 9-2 and two last year, went to the third round of the playoffs, and got beat by Winona. But, you know, Jay pre- predominantly played offense. But when they had a guy that was kind of showing out a little bit, they'd put Jay in the game and kind of take that guy away. So he is very raw in his development. But when you've got a guy that that size, length, and speed in your home state, and you go get him, especially when you don't have a lot of reaches in the class – it's worth taking a gamble. After meeting him, I really like him. There's not a sense of entitlement with him. He's very grateful for the opportunity at Mississippi State. Uh, so he's excited. And, and we always talk about we want guys that want to be here. You know what? We recruited some guys that didn't want to be here and didn't work out for us. So here's a guy that wants to be here. And uh, you know, hear Darcel McBath you know, tell it. He watched about 10 clips of the kid and said, let's offer him. Let's go get him. And so they did. And so here we are. And you can watch a video interview with Jay over on jeanspage.com today. It is a free story. It's also on my social media. You can go check it out. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're excited about what is to come. And, uh, listen, I don't think you count on that guy next year. But, uh, you know, with his speed and length, you know, maybe in some of these non-conference games, you let him get his feet wet a little bit. He's learning the position. There will be some growing pains along the way. But I like to get. I do. I like him as a player. And I think when you look at him in the full context of the class, it makes sense to go get a guy like that, to go get a guy with some raw materials and some potential that has been untapped at this point. I really like the direction of this one. Listen, thank you guys so much for your support of the books and everything else. There's so many great things that are taking place. And uh, I'll have a lot more to share about that later. If you didn't get your copies of any of the books for Christmas, treat yourself. Go to alphadogsthebook.com today 
and you can get personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villain, and Alpha Dogs. If you're looking for Stark Villain gear, and you should be, go to StarkVillains.com. You can get t-shirts, hoodies, everything you want right there. And listen, if you're from Starkville, you should rep the brand anyway. That's who we are. Go check it out. Thank you guys so much for your support. Look back. Look forward to being back with you guys on Friday. We'll have a couple basketball games to recap, and we'll kind of look forward to uh, the weekend. And you know, before you know it, National Signing Day is going to be here. And, and you guys need to kind of keep up with all the latest updates over at jeanspage.com. Paul Jones and I working through the options as best we can as we uncover names. We'll share them with you. Sometimes they're only on the hot, on the hot list for a day or two. But uh, we're doing our best to kind of keep you guys abreast of what's going on with Mississippi State recruiting. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.